fucking A. LinkedIn is such a pain in the ass. It won't let me remove the destination. Are you fucking kidding me? I think we're live, but who knows? Yeah, we are live. We are live. <sighs> LinkedIn. What a waste. Okay. Um, not that LinkedIn's worth shit anyway, um, in general, because it's just a bunch of fucking... It's just like Twitter, man. It's just turning no, into a bunch of Facebook no, and shit. No, 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 no. Twitter, there's valuable information, valuable connections to me, babe. LinkedIn is a total waste of time and effort and has no value to the world. It's just a bunch yeah, of people that want to be coaches. Of, I've got, well, yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of changed into like coaches and get more followers, the same nonsense that's everywhere else. But I've actually gotten clients, decent clients. I mean, I've got access. In the last three years? Yes, in the last All three All right. Years. Good for you. But you know, I'm doing different. I'm, you know, I'm kind of going to the invest the trade fi investment bank, not to yeah you know, the people you talk to. So yeah, so they're like that's where they are. Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> we got uh, we got Fubar on today. Oh, cool! I'm when excited, man. Last when was he on last? Uh, I don't know. A few weeks ago, I think. A few weeks ago. Okay. Do you remember what we talked about? I want to make sure the YouTube link is right in the post I made announcing this show. <coughs> I think we talked about the current situation in general, the merge, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to okay. get into that today. Uh, I want to talk about what he's building on Canto and all that good shit. Yeah, good. Okay, so we're good. I'm just checking to make sure the feed link I posted is actually the right one. Yeah, good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think uh, I screwed up the schedule when I uh, when we didn't do the show this week. So look, my new best friend. You see that? This shit is the bomb. What is that? Minoxidil? Sponsored by head? Walgreens Severe Cold and Flu. Ouch. Last night I did an in-depth comparison of ingredients of cold and flu remedies because my doctor recommended for cough something called... Uh, Dextronethrofan. That's sh this shit's the bomb. Let me tell you, it's got covers everything. So, anyway, got it. Got me covered every four hours. And then I take the nighttime shit and it knocks me out for seven hours. So it's good shit. Sean's with us. He's at the pub. Got the beer emoji up there, buddy. What? 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 What's your deal? John, huh? Oh, no, I'm just listening to you. I'm just listening to you. Yes, I see that. You're supposed to Watch be talking it, yeah. to me. Yeah, no, no. I'm just, I, don't, I don't really have anything to add to the cold and flu medication discussion. Yeah, man. Daughter is now, so we're all four. I don't have to taxi today. Well, I was going to ask you that. So yeah, she had, I didn't want to intrude. But, she had know. positive this morning. I'm so proud. Good um, for you. Now we've got a full house. My son is going to come off. You know, he'll probably be negative by Sunday. So then... Uh, He'll have to like hide in his room anyway because I'm not locking down the house for, for him. So how long does he have to stay out of school? All week. So far, so all five we, days. Yeah, I haven't even looked at the stuff this year, dude. You want to know what's nuts? What the shit that's going on in my son's school? This thing is so infectious too, man. It's going to be like rampantly. Well, I was just talking to Chuck about this. It's going to be rampantly through the schools, like insanity, because it's so it's so contagious, like. 
I, I think we're going to be back to friggin' virtual or they're just going to say, fuck it, everybody come to school with COVID because it's crazy. But my son's school this week, here, here's what happened in the five days <coughs> my son was gone. Kids out all over the place with COVID. A 5.0 student tried to kill herself by jumping off the third floor of the school into the lobby where all the kids are gathered. And another kid pulled a gun on another kid on the football field and shot it into the air. This is that Paul Metal. Like the one where Jeff Bezos has donated $20 million, the like in probably one of the wealthiest counties, I mean, towns in the country, Pinecrest, Florida. It's like insanity right now at that school. <laughs> Fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you guys got problems out there. I didn't realize. <laughs> Because they're not hearing anything about it anywhere else. You know, that's the weird part. It's friggin' nuts. Nuts. But, you know, at least everybody will have immunity then, I guess, you know. But also in your area, you got a lot of the Cubans down there that won't get vaccinated because, you know, they're like anti-vaxxers, that that part of town. So, Well, we got that and a bunch of others that don't want to get vaccinated, not even Cubans. Like, I mean, you know. No, no, but I mean, it's a little more culturally endemic there. Yeah, yeah, because I know that Palmetto used to play its tennis matches at, you know, Royal Palm, but they had to start playing at a public park because they're not in. They weren't enforcing (laughs) the vaccination rules, and so no other. You know, the the. the I I think you're talking about the. Are you talking about Mm -hmm. the other Palmetto? There's another Palmetto High School in Florida. Paul, Miami Palmetto talking enforces about the one that you go to. I mean, that your yeah, Miami Palmetto enforces the vaccines. Well, well, I they know they weren't. Well, I don't know. Whichever one you're in, because they aren't allowed. Yeah, a, the tennis team is anyway, not allowed at the country club because they won't all vaccinate. Uh, so well, we're probably there might have been a private facility. No, but, yeah, you know, I, I just said you're like in this epicenter of COVID down there. And I was trying to explain yeah. why. Yeah, absolutely. We're not so, hearing about it in like downtown. No, man, it's like fucking nuts. It's all over the place here. It's crazy. Uh, so, uh, Voyager, the judge said, you people are idiots and, uh, approved the 1.9 million for the employees to retain them. The retention bonuses. Cause the yeah, judge smart. isn't an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, cause the judge isn't like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. The judge was probably like, heard. why are you even filing this? I'm going to approve this. <laughs> My job to make sure the bankruptcy goes smoothly. So I'm glad to see that because, you know, otherwise it's stupid. Right. Well, when you throw these in the bankruptcy court, it's the it's the way to do it because it sorts everything out. The truth from the fiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these protocols, we don't see that happen. But in those types of groups, they have to. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to post this in the show notes and I encourage everyone to read this post by Jordy Alexander that Bankless put up. And Jordy uh, actually was part of a debate on the Bankless show where he took the uh, uh, the not-so-positive outlook on the merge. And essentially, he beats down just about every kind of euphoric reason that people shouldn't, should be, I mean, why people are excited about the merge. And it's, it's very rationally done, and it's very smart, um, and it's got a lot of great content um, dealing with every aspect of it from the technical to the 
to the holding, to the sell-offs, to every aspect of it. I got to tell you, I was it was very sobering to read this post and it's making me rethink how much ETH I'm going to have <coughs> post-merge. Um, I still think there's some potential upside, but um, you know, even if you just take the idea that once the secondary upgrade happens, there's going to be, um, you know, uh, I don't know, 20 million ETH uh, accumulated, ready to be sold. Not everybody there is a true Ethereum believer. Most of them are just trying to stack the fucking tokens to sell. <coughs> so um, based on all the arguments he makes in this piece, I'm not convinced. I am not convinced that um, that there's a, a massive upside for Ethereum post-merge. So maybe through the first six months until they unlock, but um, I, I just, you know, every aspect of kind of ETH's future, it wasn't like doom and gloom, ETH's going to suck, it's going to be horrible. It was more like, let's be pragmatic about the fact that this um, does not mean, you know, ETH is going to blow up and flip Bitcoin and uh, go to the moon. And, and it's some really valid, valid arguments in here. Um, and he handles everything from gas prices to he thinks that that it will not be deflationary, um, that that's over with, that there's not enough activity right now, and that L1s and L2s are taking all the activity. So the deflationary arguments out the window, um, you know, just just across the board, he covers everything um, articulately, beautifully, and um, making me rethink um, all the uh, all the arguments for uh, you know post post merge boom. So what was the big takeaway to you that caused this profound shift in thought? It was, it's not one big takeaway. It's all those things. Well, I give, just me talked about. give me three. Give me three. I just did. I just did. Right did. Uh, unlock post merge. Okay. Not deflationary. Six months. Uh, not deflationary. Okay. Yeah. Not deflationary, not low fees. Um, uh, lack of activity on Ethereum chain because of L1s and L2s. Um, you know, those are, those are three good ones, but you know, the, the entire thing as a whole is the key to this art is the key to, to understanding this. And oh, no, but the other one, the other one it, is like a hundred different opinions out there right the, now. And nobody knows. The other one is, so I just is, don't believe in way, taking one person's opinion as, as kind of like now the new Holy grail. That's all I'm saying. No, there's no Holy grail. It's just a You're reason not saying anything that anybody hasn't already said in those five bullet points. It's just a reasoned argument for not hopium, you know, not having hopium about this massive run for Ethereum post merge, and and very rational. I think that's a crypto Twitter thing, dude, because I don't hear any of this. You don't hear any of which? I don't hear any of this massive rally after the merge. I'm not hearing that. There, well, I mean, I don't know where you'd hear it if it wasn't crypto Twitter, because that's where all of crypto hangs out. Um, no, I mean, well, yeah, but other people talk about it too. Yeah, but um, other people don't control the price, right? The people that control the price are the people that are, who are buying it and staking it. My point is, is there are about 10 points in this argument, in this argument saying, you know, there's probably not a run for Ethereum post-merge. There are a ton of other people, who, some of whom he debated in the video that they talk about at the beginning of this article, that actually are advocating that it will be. And and, yeah. and that includes that includes um uh oh fuck what's his name the guy we talk about all the time that writes the really great articles founder of uh 
Oh, the Hayes? Hayes? Yeah, Arthur Hayes. He's a very much, you know, he wrote an entire post on. Uh, yeah, I About, um, you know, post-merge, Ethereum blows up, scarcity, blah, blah, blah. So all I'm saying is I encourage everyone to read this so they have another <laughs> set of point of views. Um, the other thing is, is I'm he's not talking about. Job, but yeah, I get it. It's cool. The other thing he's talking about is that, um, um you know, everyone thinks or expects that post-merge that uh, staking rewards will be uh, four, four and a half, five, six percent. Um, he actually breaks down the math and says mm, more like one and a half, two percent. So anyway, uh, I encourage everybody to read it. The link will be in there, um, you know, and uh, and uh, make your own decisions. But um, well, you know, it's funny because I was reading about this trade that, of course, I missed this, too. But there's this trade that's been going on that has been talked a lot about the last couple of days where everybody has been, it's part of that like second token play where everybody has been, not everybody, but a lot of people have been buying ETH spot, which is what they're crediting toward the uh, price appreciation, but they're also putting shorts in on top of it to basically execute on the proof of worth token, proof of work token when it collapses. <laughs> after the merge oh, so this shit. is caused like a backwardization evidently issue where like it's causing an in like an inverse dynamic there that behaviorally that you don't want to see and now i guess that trade's been pulled off the last couple of days and that's why they're saying you see the selling or the depreciation in price on eth i mean look who doesn't ever think of that strategy buy and, and short at the same time but i didn't realize it was so I mean, there's nothing, so giant epiphany there, but I didn't realize that they were tying it to the proof of work token on the short side. Right, right. And that to me was pretty interesting. Um, that I completely missed that that was going on, I guess, is what was interesting to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's like you kind of saying the same thing as you though, Brad, but for different reasons. I think it's a, you know, sell the new, oh no, no, uh, sell the event type thing. You know, buy the news, sell the event. In my mind, yeah. um, I think pulling it off is the big success. You know, it's like, but anything that doesn't pull it off, it's like there's a very weird expectation bar set here. And that yeah. total success isn't going to get a bunch of cheering and hoopla. Everybody like, yay, yay, you pulled it off. You know, it's like everybody expects, you know, their expectation is that it does pull off, it seems to me. And there's only downside risk on any kind of glitch that's gonna you know send i guess post-merge analysis into like a wtf mode but you know i don't really uh, i just think it's the big event out there that everybody's hanging on but, i mean we don't really talk about anything exciting other than new stuff in this event right. um, again it's been eight years in the making so i guess everybody's excited about it yeah well it should be should be excited I mean, about it. So, I think, but do you think? Just finish up to the circle guy. I mean, I like the other L ones. Okay, we always talk about Phantom for those stuff. The advantages it has it just doesn't have the scale yet. But I don't see them coming in and taking all the ETH business away yet. Um, assuming the merge succeeds. So, but yeah. I don't know. I'm. I guess I just haven't seen it going up. Um, I mean, I see ETH going up eventually, but I just haven't seen the merge being the catalyst for that. I don't know. 
What is this? Sean says there was a nice basis trade on ETH with the proof of work token as additional PL, but the trade is so packed that futures have flipped. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So Hetzner is kind of freaking out a lot of people, including me a little bit, because uh, uh, we use a lot of Hetzner on material indicators infrastructure. Remind me, what is Hetzner? It's like uh, DigitalOcean, like uh, VPS hosting, virtual private okay. server hosting. And they also have dedicated um, server hosting. Like the Vulture stuff in Singapore? Yeah, yeah, Hetzner? exactly. Easy to use, low cost, based out of Europe. Uh, mm -hmm. Been a pretty good partner for us, although we've had a couple of wonky shutdowns they did that pissed us off but anyway um they announced on reddit of all places uh that using their products for any application related to mining even remotely rated related is not permitted it's okay i don't mind right so i think we're cool it says this includes ethereum it includes proof of stake and proof of work and related applications it includes trading it is true for all our products except co-location even if you just run one node we consider it a violation of our terms of service we are aware that there are many Ethereum users currently at Hetzner who we have, and we have been internally discussing how we can best address this issue. So uh, some people were posting uh, data this today on Twitter saying that actually it looks like anywhere from 10 to 15% of the nodes in operation are on the Hetzner uh, infrastructure. Those may not be staking nodes. They may be um, just you know, normal nodes. Um, but, um, uh, it, it could be problematic for me. The word of the, the inclusion of the word, it includes trading is problematic, but you know, FUBAR actually our guest coming up here made a really good point. Hetzner going to great lengths to support home staking, even at incredible economic cost to themselves, such a selfless action. Amazing how many companies care about helping Ethereum become decentralized because this represents a shit ton of their revenue, um, uh, you know, from, from all aspects that they're just kind of remotely allowing this connection to that they'll cancel accounts. Um, and there were some people who've, who've already had accounts canceled uh, recently with Hetzner that are in this space and Hetzner refuses to give them a reason. So, um, you know, it's a big problem. It's a problem for our company, Material Indicators, because we're related to trading. We don't actually initiate trades, but now we can't trust Hetzner not to just pull the plug uh, for no reason. So we'll be uh, moving the, with the remaining infrastructure that's there off uh, as soon as possible. So, Do they give a reason? Um, they don't, they don't okay. say, Hey, we hate fucking crypto. They don't say, Hey, we're wor worried about regulatory. They don't say anything, but this is going to be, look, I I'm confident. It's the attorney saying we don't want anything to do with crypto because you're going to get us shut down. Trading um, securities, that kind of argument. Yeah. Got right. So my suspicion is that we'll see this across the board for a lot of hosting providers. Um, and not probably not this wide, like, you know, anything related to it, anything having anything to do with crypto, anything having to do with trading. I don't think every hosting company is going to go that far, but um, it does bring up the fact that, um, you know, this is the kind of shit that can be done at home and should be done at home, um, that there are decentralized file storage offerings and peer-to-peer -peer offerings that people need to be looking at because, um, you know, we're still not decentralized when we're using hosting providers. So as Fubar says, this pushes us uh, further out. Oh, I need to message him. I think he forgot about us. Maybe I gave him the wrong link. You think? 
I don't know. Um, so the alternative is going back to kind of like our 90s model or 2000 model where everybody has a server in their office. Is that what you're talking about here as an alternative? Like, bringing yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing your doing your staking at home on your own servers. It's complex. It's difficult. There are service providers that provide, um, you know, off the shelf stuff. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's difficult to do. Yeah. It's difficult to do. I'm going to see if I come in twice. I want to make sure the link I gave FUBAR works. Yep. Yeah, you are. That does huh. work. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about, like, can... I mean, do you ever see... A, I mean, maybe it already exists. I mean, because we're going for ultimate decentralization here and so many of these things. I mean, you would think it eventually gets to at least the level of the individual smartphone device not just, you know, laptops and servers and nodes and that kind of thing. Right. Um, I wonder if there's ever a world where, you know, the, I mean, I guess it kind of does already in some ways, but I mean, I wonder if there's a world where you could actually, the, the phone, it could be a full blown server node for things like this. Not for this. No, no, because you have to store the chain. It's too much. It's too oh, much data. You got to have the whole chain. Yeah, that's right. Cause I remember I was doing that with, your favorite um, one, Cardano, like three or four years ago, or maybe it was Stellar. And, you know, it downloads the whole friggin' chain into your laptop. Yeah. So their, their wallet. And I'm like, I don't need all this. <laughs> I just need token go up. <laughs> exactly. 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 So our, our uh, FUBAR is coming in now. He, oh, cool. uh, he had the wrong time. So. Um. What else, Joe? You got anything else? I haven't even, I have not looked at prices today. I've been, I've been running like, oh, we took a nice little, little dip here, didn't we? Shit. Well, it was sort of up and yeah, and then it went down. It looked like, you know, the little sucker rally, basically. Um, it's all tied into Jackson Hole and the Fed and yeah. interest rates. I mean, to me, you know, when he says something like, look, the is he speaking today? Is that today? Well, it's a two day event. I think today's right. the first day, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But, you know, he basically said today that, look, to stop inflation is going to be painful. Yeah. On individuals and businesses. So get ready. Yeah. Um, you know, it is. If you want to stop this, um, you do have to get some pain. But he said something about the job market, too. And I haven't seen that yet. But I guess that, you know, you're going to have to choke that off eventually a little bit. But. Uh, which might tee into more of the doom and gloom scenarios that, you know, Fred and the European guys have been saying, um, because I haven't really been thinking that they're going to go that high. Cause I think where you do the work now is on the fed balance sheet, which, you know, basically is going to stat $9 trillion has to, a lot of it comes out of the bank liquidity essentially. Right. So everybody is talking about, let's say, you know, all, uh, dollar circulating supply. There's a lot of discussion about that going on now too. Um, you know, that takes a big bite out. So, yeah. you know, that's where I would focus if I was them because it's kind of harder to see other than a nice little curve line going over at the top right now. Exactly. But that's got to be dealt with. And, you know, and the strong dollar has to be dealt with. So, but I don't know which way the U.S. is going to want to take that. You know, do you take it stronger now to 
pare down, you know, the debt you owe and things like that. But at the same time, if you do that, like if you get the interest rates going too high, then, you know, this debt that we have to service, our government debt goes up. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of that's been refined and I haven't really looked at that in a, a year or so, but, um, you know, there is always that issue of debt service payments go up when interest rates go up. So absolutely. So it's a fine balancing act, but I think that, you know, it's always important to remember that, and again, I'm speaking like Europeans and Americans and sort of first world audience that, you know, we got it so much better than yeah. the rest of the world. And, you know, maybe we pay 15 bucks for a pint of miso paste or we pay <laughs> six bucks a gallon for a premium or whatever, you know, stuff goes up. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, you're not living in this, these megalopolis trash dumps. And I'm not, I'm saying really trash dumps, not yeah, yeah, yeah. them. I'm just saying in eking out a living with no education yeah, and no healthcare. I mean, yeah. you know, so we have, so we might complain and be upset because, oh my God, I lost 2 million in the market or something. But at the end of the day, you'll recover from that. Yep. Um, or at least, you, you know, psychologically, physically, hopefully financially, you'll recover from it, but you're not like getting pounded. So, so I, I think we got to always remember that, but I see our guest is here. So I'll stop pontificating fubar hey buddy how are you man hey there great to head be here head head how down right code are you are your heads down right in code all day um i am but yeah good to, good to pop out every now and then yeah absolutely thanks for coming on man so uh so tell tell everybody kind of what you're up to um and and what's going on with uh what you're doing and why you're on building Forte on Canto and tell us what all that is. Totally. So I have an experimental mindset, try to find where people are running interesting new mechanisms and new protocols and new designs. Right. And then looking and seeing what else can fit into there. So Canto is a new um, EVM, Evmos based blockchain on Cosmos which means right. that you get the IBC advantages and communication advantages of Cosmos, but also the traditional familiarity of writing smart contracts for the EVM rather than having to learn Go, Rust, whatnot, which are very high on the priority list, but also have higher attack surfaces because people haven't refined the tool chain and tool stack and auditing expertise there yet. Right. So... Uh, the Canto experiment is what happens if you subsidize a couple of DeFi protocols at the L1 protocol layer. Um, so you have a public public goods DEX and a public goods stablecoin and public goods lending market that hopefully reduces a bit of fragmentation there. Right. That I have, yeah, on the DEX, you have zero swap fees, for example, and LPs are subsidized with liquidity mining emissions compared to normal where there are non-zero swap fees and that ideally compensates people for the impermanent loss they undergo. But then notice that there was a bit of a gap in the market. If you weren't one of the five, six, seven whitelisted LP pairs, then you'd be getting no emissions and also zero LP fees. So you're right. just exposing yourself to price moving against you and being dumb money in the order in the order book so 
whip this together. It's a subset of a larger project I've been working on. Nice. Saw the opportunity to really fill a lot of clamoring customer needs immediately. So it's um, a non-zero feedex that works on longer tail pairs. The most popular one right now is is Canto Inu, which seems <laughs> seems to have taken <laughs> by storm. But it's a better deal for the for the LPs because they're able to earn yield on their LPing if price whiplashes back and forth. Awesome. Awesome. So essentially what you're trying to do is fill a hole in the Canto ecosystem with Forte. So you're setting up the LPs now, and then this will have, have the ability to swap as a, and operate as a DEX. I, I don't think you've launched that functionality yet, right? Exactly. So it is already hooked into the Slingshot aggregator front end. So LPs okay. are already earning money. But yes, we are Good. also working <clears throat> on a custom swaps front end to help people who don't want to use the decks in that piece. It's just been Very a matter nice. of making sure the LP management is robust and beautiful first. Cool. And and in terms of our, you mentioned that this is a subset of something else you're working on. Is that something? Does that mean that you're you're going to deploy further functionality on Canto, or are you just going to see how it goes first with with Forte and then? and then take it from there. So the Forte code is largely immutable. We've got, that's a design focus I try to put heavy emphasis on, is it can Good. live beyond me and can't be, you can't have operational mistakes or malicious admins or anything like that. So it's quite, it's quite possible that we could take further functionality and expand and expand to new contracts, but this, the, the, these primitives should stand alone no matter what yeah. me or anyone else does. Cool. And I mean, do you, do you have the itch to continue to try to deploy more here? Is that, is that kind of where you are? I, I guess the, my question is, is, um, you know, I, I think we were both kind of attracted to Canto for, for similar reasons. We both like experimentation. We think it expands and grows things. I personally really liked the, the, the ethos of this, you know, um, free public infrastructure, um, making it, you know, uh, less uh, rent seeking of the users and, and providing something that was pretty powerful and that people could adapt to and use and grow from, from the beginning. Is that also kind of why you're in this and and what are your thoughts in general about kind of its potential i mean currently i think we're at like uh what 87 million tvl on the project in about a week and a day so um certainly the growth's been impressive but i'm sure a lot of that is people just diving into to take the nice yields but just kind of curious your thoughts overall at this very early stage yeah definitely it's a very early stage and i'd say competing in a tough market where there are some right. very well-funded competitors. That sure. said, taking a bit of a novel route of once a network is launched, it is decentralized. There are no, say, vesting overhangs or unlocks coming or whatnot. And uh, there's been a very, very heavy focus that it is run run by the community and people can pop in and step up. So I'm very interested in the novel protocol mechanics of subsidizing free public infrastructure. I think it's a, it's a hard problem because you're 
simultaneously working on the L1 mechanics, but also the DeFi mechanics. You're launching three, four apps at once and trying to do a right. good job of what does it look like to be credibly neutral? What does credibly neutral mean? So it's trying to solve a lot of hard problems and not to say there aren't growing pains, of course, but I'm very curious to see what that process looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I can't imagine. I mean, from my discussions with, with, you know, the founders that I've talked to and looking at the team members, they all look, it looks like a very strong team, but you're right. That's a lot to manage. Um, not only deploying protocols, but deploying an L1 and managing it at the same time. So, um, and I, I spoke to Scott on Monday and I think they were just thankful that, you know, they didn't have to shut anything down yet. So yeah, definitely. Got to be got to be nerve-wracking for sure. But I'm, yeah, I'm I, always impressed. I'd rather people like aim aim for the moon and end up a little yeah. short than try to climb a ladder and make it to the top. So, I I I view kind of novel novel experiments even if they don't work perfectly as way more useful and frankly impressive than repeating the same Totally agree. And I, and I think it's what drives the whole ecosystem forward, right? It's like, if people aren't going to take these chances and users aren't going to come in and take these chances, then, um, you know, we won't grow because we won't be pushing beyond the boundaries of what we currently have. We'll end up with just a bunch of, you know, copy pasta, pan pancake swaps. Um, so yeah. totally, totally, totally agree. There's a bit of a re reflexivity bullwhip effect in crypto culture as well, where, once something works and is proven, there is a mad rush for the gates to make as many almost identical iterations on top with yeah. one or two trivial parameters tweaked. And a, and a successful meta gets run into the ground and run to death. And so people get tired of what was a good thing that got taken to extremes. They say, this is overblown. This is overdone. We don't need it at all. Yeah. And really this, no, this was a good thing. It wasn't going to solve world hunger, but it's also still a good thing. And then on the other end of that bull with spectrum, you have the extreme disillusionment where people say we have the status quo. It works for my purposes. There are a couple of broken edge cases, but it's good enough. Stop trying to change it. Stop experimenting. <laughs> and then that, so like the, the, the disdain for new stuff quickly turns into a, an excessive love of this new tool. And you, you switch from this one end of the spectrum to the other very, very quickly without spending much time in the middle. Right. So yeah, I try to try to remain moderated on both ends. Things are not as good as people make them seem, but they're also far better than the pessimists think. True, true. I tend to hit the extremes, but um, I, I, I have been trying to let everyone know that this is uh, definitely an experiment, right? I mean, that's what makes me most excited about it because I, I am a huge advocate for continuing to just try to push and break and move things forward so from my perspective something like this is so novel and i think i think the timing on this was good because i think everyone's kind of in the doldrums of of this market 
um, and kind of freaking out about everything else that was going on. So something fresh and new and exciting with, you know, high APR, APYs uh, is going to attract attention um, in the middle of all the other crap that's going on. So um, I, and I think that's a good thing to boost it up. I think it'll also mean some, some letdown from it eventually as well, but uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. It's fun to play with. Yeah, same. And I don't really subscribe to the keep your products until we're back in a bull market and then launch them all. Right. That thinking has never quite made sense to me. Right. Yes, when when there's a wealth effect, people are willing to go a little bit further out on the risk curve. But compared to that, timing is time not timing, but time is everything to get users and experiment and get out and improve the product. And so even if there's slightly better sentiment surrounding a launch three, six months from now, it doesn't make any sense to delay because three, six months from now, you got your butt kicked by somebody who had a little more courage and was willing yeah. to step out there. And take it now. Yeah. I I got to tell you, the, the projects that I've talked to over the last two months, three months that have just said, hey, we're just launching. We, you know, we're ready. We've got it. We're going. Um, I have found, you know, most of them to be uh, well thought out, really cool concepts or, you know, great experiments that I want to play and take part in. So, and I think they're smart to do it, you know, when there may be a little less interest so that people can be thoughtful about it and, and uh, not be quite so insane or crazed about hopping in. So, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, also, look, when people are, like you said, when it's kind of like the doldrums of the season, so to speak, then the hardcore people are still here. So they're going to look at the ideas because the ideas are going to be served up almost in isolation versus a whole basket of 30 things. And then trying to figure out what's the best of 30. You can dig into one thing and be like, oh, this is really cool. I can use part of this here or I can do this or I can use this or this makes me think of this other problem differently. You do get a lot more intellectual buy in in this type of season, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Joe. I, I I do. I'm I'm finding that, and I've been I've been thoroughly impressed with the you know the gathering community and Discord around around this project. I think Canto is a little more crazy. I mean, Telegram with Canto right now is actually a little crazier. Um, and normally, I'm one that uh, sticks to Telegram as much as possible. But I've been really impressed with the Canto Discord in terms of people helping each other out, people trying to get everybody on board. You know, bridging is a little clunky right now. All that good stuff. So. Anyway, uh, did you have uh, you have any other thoughts about kind of what you're seeing happening in there? I mean, you know, we already had our first uh, NFT rug. I think that was for like $4,000. So, you know, we've established legitimacy with that. Yeah. Ironically, I've been so heads down on the on the tech side. I think I missed the the Canto long necks and what was it? The the Cantos. The Cantos are my favorite. I think I've got mixed feelings there. <laughs> I, first honorary, first honorary, where I felt like the the honorable thing to do might be to decline. <laughs> oh, dude, you got to go with it. It's great marketing for the protocol. It's so bad, it's good. That's yeah. what I love about. It. Let me see if so, I can find yours. Yeah, I mean this this is my first time. I think being Getting around a- at Genesis ish. Yeah. So I I don't have a ton of other data points to compare to. I have a bit of a Bayesian prior that things are empty and they're empty because by definition, that's how things start. Yeah. And then stuff gets filled in along the way. 
So I'm very curious to see how that evolves as well and plays out. You kind of need the core primitives in place first, and then people can start building interesting second order things on top. Yeah. For example, you can't have an NFT marketplace before there are NFTs and you can't have a DEX aggregator before there are DEXs and you can't have a yield aggregator before there are yields. So no. <laughs> yep. That's it. That's Fubar's Canto. Yeah. So this is a, uh, an NFT project that's taking uh, the punk uh, NFT models and taking all these people that are in the Canto space and creating uh, can T O E toes uh, around it. And Fubar was uh, one of the first to be honored. So there's his uh, PFP. Do you have that on your profile yet? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that, that would be something else. Watch the follower count drop to drop to zero. Or uh, to a million, just with a different. I was going to say, I think people market. are going to be into it. I just, for me, being a you know, being a lover yeah. of dad jokes, I just love the name. So, from it, my perspective, it, it, it's it's a hilarious dad joke. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just perfect. So, anyway, uh, I'm sorry, you, I, I interrupted you with this with your with your new uh, image, but uh, you were saying uh, you were uh, on yes. a track there. I was saying that it's interesting to watch emergent primitives come out and get built on top of each other. Obviously my yeah. goal with, with Forte is for it to be a base layer primitive that supports both state correlated and uncorrelated pools, stable and volatile swaps and can get built into, can hook into other aggregators that's already happening, can be used as a, as a launch pad working on a permissionless bribing system. A um, couple of technical quirks to be worked out there, but nice. it could be quite could be quite solid if we get that. Yeah, and all the while being de truly decentralized and truly permissionless. That's a core value on my end. Yeah. yeah, me too. Absolutely. How do you feel in general about kind of the state of Ethereum and you know we're we're taking kind of some some mental model hits of late with with um you know tornado cash and censorship and and proof of stake relevant to you know large corporates like coinbase etc that that are huge chunks of the proof of stake market kind of what's your current state of mind on 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 the path to decentralization and the merge and everything else right now with with what's going on with ethereum quite the setup <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said it was easy and smooth and fun. Yeah. But you never get, you never get true strength until a system actually needs it. Um, protocols tend towards the minimum viable security. And if nobody is attacking you, minimum viable security is close to zero. Right. Whereas if nation states are attacking you, minimum vial security is much, much higher. I mean, both on the economic, but also on the social layer end. So it's a, it's a test that, well, for, first, I think there are a lot of misunderstandings with regards to what privacy means and what rights people are entitled to for personal financial information and whatnot. 
Right. Um, there's a mistaken idea that money laundering refers to making your transactions not forever indexable in the public blockchain, whereas money laundering actually refers to um, faking the source of funds. Exactly. Which Tornado does not do at all. And Coin Center has right. some amazing explainers on this. Kind of Such good stuff. Which is necessary when you've got people regulating who may not have a deep understanding of space or may ha have never even touched it. Yep. So with, with, with that said, I'm it's, there's definitely a lot of ambiguity in terms of operating. It would be, yeah, it would, it would be easier if there was, if there was more clarity on things, but sometimes you have to do the best with what you're given. So I think that crypto's, still i mean it's a 10x 100x better product on so many domains the simplest just being sending money and then the composability in DeFi and non-financial use cases you layer on top of that so it feels to me that that's a force that can't be stopped i hope there's in 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 due time i hope that that's recognized and the right protections are, say, enshrined to laws. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, a bit, bit of a, a brusque. Shut that was a. That, that was a quick. That's, that's all right. You got your that's, point out. That's all. Yeah, that, that's on the privacy thing specifically. Mm -hmm. I think crypto definitely retail hype is probably at a local local low. I don't know yep. if we can call the local bottom. Depends how far the Fed wants to go, but it it is it's nice to see the tech is always advancing, even yeah. while the the reflexive hype cycles overextend themselves on both ends. Do you think that um, from uh, you know you you talked about the fact that the, the threats are what drive the the development of of the of the security capabilities of of the protocol, and when the threats are low. There's less attention to that. Um, do you really feel like that kind of what's? I mean, I know there have been discussions in the the Ethereum core team on Discord about um, you know potentially slashing entities that censor blocks and and that kind of stuff. Um, do you think that's something that becomes part of Ethereum and should it become part of what happens for the future? Um, or do you think that you know there's some kind of social capability that prevents that uh within the system I, I don't have a clue how to how to phrase that but what what i'm saying is is do you think that's probably where they're headed in terms of trying to address this to really um to address kind of the whole censorship issue as it relates to proof of stake yeah great question there are a couple different layers or depths to the term censorship especially once you move into proof of stake to start with a simpler proof of work analogy, because we do see block proposer censorship in Ethereum proof of work even today. Right. Uh, great, great example. I think it was, I think it was Ethermine. Don't quote me on that, but one of the largest proof of work mining pools, their inclusion rate of tornado transactions dropped to near zero. Yeah, uh, it was Ethermine. Blocks they built. I think in, in close proximity to the sanctions announcement and whatnot. Yep. But that's yeah, I, 
at their that's it for the blocks they propose they didn't say try to reorg the chain to right. remove any tornado transactions that had ever happened in the past or that other block proposers had included because frankly we live in a global world where two two countries laws may be in conflict with each other and so it's literally impossible to comply globally with everyone everywhere at one time country a yep. says country b is a criminal and country b says country a is a criminal yep. you you have you have your contradiction there so the i guess the softer softer my block censorship can be supported in proof of work and proof of stake just fine block proposers are free to include what they want and order what they want and they get paid accordingly if they include the highest paying transactions they make more money if they make an empty block or include low paying transactions they make less money so there's an incentive there but it's not it's not destabilizing or even censorship at a blockchain level because then as long as you have a robust block proposer set anybody can come in and take the high paying transactions a block or two or three later. What is dangerous is the coordinated reorg 51% attack where, and that's, and that's the group censorship where you say, not only am I going to not include any bad transactions or, um, in, in my block, but I'm also going to try to reorg or pretend I didn't see any blocks containing transactions I don't like. And so in a proof of work context, that looks like if you, that looks like no longer following the longest chain rule. It means follow it back to where, wherever my friends are and hmm. then go from there. And that's, right. that's a 51% attack. Right. In proof of stake, it's a little more complex because while there is one block proposer and builder, everybody attests or signs a message thing saying that they saw that block. So one person builds the block and then thousands of others come in and say, I, I see that you made this block. And there's, so there's a little more activity that's not just choosing who to build on top of, but also being honest in what you saw. So I'll, I'll pause there, but <laughs> the technical pieces. But, it, it, and I, that, that's a great explanation. Um, and I, I think it helps people kind of understand the, the whole ramifications of it. Um, in, in term, it, would you personally like to see us kind of, um, well, I mean, we have to be concerned about somebody acting maliciously with a 51% attack, but they have to obviously get to that point. Um, do you see this as something that you think is, is something that needs to be addressed in the shorter term? Or do you think this is something that evolves over time and, and they have too much going on right now to even mess with it? It's a great question. There are multiple factors at play here. One is that first censorship is not mandated even in the US, um, right. block proposers play a role very similar to Swift. Swift also does not censor any transactions. It's the role of the sender and receiver. Slashing is something that's very misunderstood. There's the 
Um, I think people misunderstand that it's automatic in a lot of cases. So this isn't something that if say 10% of validators go out and misbehave and try to do their own thing, this isn't a case where you would need a hard fork. It would just happen that they failed to attest to the right blocks or they double signed. And so with the code running as is, it would already, it, it would punish them for that. The right. only time coordination is needed when you, is when you have a greater than, um, yeah, greater than 33, 50, 67%, slightly different ways it plays out based on those thresholds. But pr what proof of stake offers is that you can do a one-time hard fork, or I guess you'd call it a, a user-activated soft fork, where validators agree to not honor the, say, censoring validators or vice versa. And they, and, and by coordinating, you can, you can slash their stake out of existence. But I, I don't, I don't quite know if, if things are at that point yet. Certainly crypto sentiment, sentiment can turn to the point where Brian Armstrong is forced to let his customers, let his cus lose customer funds or to censor. But it right. doesn't seem like we're at that point yet. So yeah, and I, I think I think the reason this discussion's happening is because of so many, well, I shouldn't say so many, because of the protocols that actually went beyond everything that was in the OFAC in terms of like, you know, censoring users or wallets on their chain via the UI. Um on their protocol, I should say, via the UI, not obviously via the smart contracts, um, to block people that had any relationship to doing uh, transactions on Tornado Cash. And I, I think that's why it's kind of like coming up as in discussion is, is kind of those extreme or overreach actions beyond kind of what even the sanctions were asking for um, made everybody kind of freak out and say, well, wait a minute, if they, if they can do this, what, what else could people do? So I, I agree with you. I don't think we're there yet, but I think that I certainly want to see people thinking about it, right? And, and starting to think about the, all the kind of parameters and possibilities that could happen um, if need be. Absolutely. And the introduction of real world assets like, like stable coins, but we'll see others or like custodial stable coins, USDC, Tether. Um, I, I know Maker is doing some experiments with, climate bonds per se and everybody wants yep. to put houses on the blockchain right and i'm sure and i'm sure somebody will so those real world asset ties make it a more complex system because you can't just fork away the house the house is still there somebody owns it right right and whoever has whoever has the legally enforceable right to the house gets to decide what what fork that lives on so that's makes another sense. factor into the mix that makes it tougher to fork Ethereum per se. Not impossible, but makes it a lot messier. Replication. As the as the POW guys are going to learn. Um, is there? Um, what are you excited about in the space right now? Are there projects you're you're playing with besides Canto and and building on that 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 you think have some really cool things going on or that you've seen lately? Yeah. I coolest thing lately, this is completely non-monetary, but Paradigm <laughs> had a capture the flag challenge 
where really? they put out essentially yeah a, a bunch of a bunch of challenges for Solidity and Solana and Cairo devs to come in and say hey we we spun up this somewhat opaque blockchain fork can you need to get it into this state like you need for example you need to rescue these funds from this contract <laughs> see if you can figure out how to do it and oh, that was fun. so first that was incredibly enlightening from just a security and development perspective i consider myself decently well versed in a lot of the technical stuff but when you're competing with the top of the top security auditing firms from around the world in a 48 hour madness you learn a little bit more humility yeah that was wonderful but the most fun thing from there was probably this i don't want to call it play to earn because there was no earning it was just clout but nascar on the (laughs) blockchain where people could code up arbitrary strategies for their race car and yeah run hundreds of have it race hundreds of simulations in real time against others. So that got me a lot hmm. more excited about crypto gaming again. Um, because there, there are so many there there's there's so many factors that both the the automation but also the hand tuning brings into the arena that make it fascinating to play around with. And also the hyper competitiveness. I think everybody's going to have a little chip on their shoulder and want to win. Um, So I'm, I'm pretty reinvigorated about the crypto gaming space. I don't know if I want to call it the play to earn space yet, but just the the mechanics of how, how everything interlocks. Um, NFTs, DeFi and gaming are really not separate industries. They're just different verticals. We're still learning how to intertwine. Absolutely. No, that's very cool. I It's funny because I didn't even hear about the paradigm thing, but that's brilliant. I love that concept. Um, but I did kind of notice out of the corner of my eye on Twitter, the racing stuff, but I didn't dive into it. You know, I didn't go see, hey, what is this? Now I really wish I had, because that sounds really cool. You, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that's interesting about that, Fubar, is you know, the NASCAR audience is from a user adoption standpoint. I mean, it think about all the advertising on the cars, who the audience is. It's a lot of, um, you know, think about detergents and house uh, housekeeping supplies and things like that. It's not just men, it's also women. And if bringing that group in mass into crypto or via a game like this, I mean, it seems to me like anything like this, it's more like fantasy football is going to pull everybody into the gaming side of crypto versus, say, leading with the finance side on like a play to earn concept and then trying to make everybody think it's legit. It kind of has to come in, like you just said, as gaming first and then add the other pieces, the other monetization pieces, my opinion. Exactly. So I'm a lot more. I think that crypto native games will probably come from crypto natives and they'll start simple and grow gradually more complex rather than gaming, rather rather than web two gaming monoliths coming in and slapping some NFTs on in-game items. I think that emergent complexity wins out 
emergent complexity from simple primitives wins out on top of overly formal central planning almost every time. So it'll be fascinating to see. And I'm realizing now NASCAR is a terrible example because they are explicitly rejecting the younger generation and formulas, Formula One's taking up the towards yeah. now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. There was a, I don't even know which league it was, but some sports team launched a coin over the past week, weekend, and it's been one of the top performers out of everything because people love the fan base. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, Absolutely. a few months ago, I was at a Bloomberg conference and I was chatting with the, the guy who heads the ultimate owner of the Formula One and all their monetization and media strategies are doing. It's you're right. They are crushing NASCAR in that regard. And it's out of I think it's owned by Liberty Media, maybe. Um, but, you know, everything they're doing digital you know, all their strategies, it just plays to it because in the pandemic, evidently, a lot of the young teens or teenagers got into formula one. There was a lot of games and stuff to play along like, you know, fantasy football-y type stuff. Um, and now they're firmly in that group versus NASCAR, it seems. Yep. Hey, listen, guys, got to wrap it up. Fubar, thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, sorry for the confusion on the time, getting you the wrong time, but I appreciate you coming um, and would love to have you back on frequently. Um, everybody mm -hmm. that wants to check out what he's working on, check out forteswap.xyz. Uh, I'll post the links in the show notes as well as the links to Canto. Uh, but, dude, thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing seeing how things progress with that project and really, really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. It's been great to talk. Yeah. Thanks, Bill yeah, Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Thank you, Eamon, Sean, uh, for uh, participating and joining the discussion today. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please, uh, if you have any ideas, thoughts, or suggestions, or feedback, B05Crypto on Telegram or Twitter. And don't forget to hit the subscribe bell on YouTube. Joe, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Before you kill it, um, you know, I think the big takeaway is that the gaming has to come from real-world gaming to really get the user uptake, I think, in the versus the play to earn. Uh, Definitely in my in those I think that feeds right into metaverse discussions. It feeds right into all the real world versus, you know, meta different ones that we're always talking about. So great, great pull today, Brad. Love when Fubar comes on. Dude, dude, he's just brilliant. And I love his insights. He's so calm and measured. Yeah. So much calm, more calm and measured than me. So love it. All no, right, folks, have a great day. I, yeah. Joe, I got to run. Bye, everybody. Bye. Cheers. Bye.